So if you uh, haven't been joining us, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. And for those of you who don't know, the Gospel of Matthew is one of four accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, and he wrote this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, after his ascension to heaven, uh, and a few decades after that. But because obviously, if you spent time with Jesus, it'd be very memorable. He also drew from other sources, Mark and, and others, and God helped it inspired him by the power of the Holy Spirit to give a full picture of the life of Jesus. So he organized his gospel into five different sections of teaching by Jesus. And I mentioned before that corresponds with the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, which were the most important books for um, the Jewish people. So he was kind of saying that Jesus is like a new Torah. And in between each section of teaching, there was different narrative things that would happen, healing, um, demoniacs, and different events would, would occur. And that's how he organized uh, the life of Christ. And we saw in the last few weeks, Jesus talking about his weak and struggling disciples, his little ones, right? And the great danger of neglecting them by seeking out people who are valuable and influential instead of them. Jesus wants us to, to treat all his children equally and to love them, especially those who are weak and those who are struggling. And today we're going to expand that a little bit more, but um, I'm going to read the next section, which is Matthew 18, verses 7 through 9, if you have your Bible. Matthew 18, 7 through 9. And it says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And my title of this message was, um, stumbling in the in the life of faith and i have a analogy that kind of helps us understand this word stumbling um about 10 years ago i was uh went to iceland with my wife and two other really good friends of us of ours and we had a great time it's very cold there but it's very beautiful lots of rugged landscape waterfalls mountains um just this kind of this kind of it's barren but it's also it's it's austere in its beauty and near the end of our trip we wanted to hike a mountain we thought that'd be really cool to hike a mountain just to get a, a good lay of the land so we looked on the map saw a mountain we drove by and it, from the distance it looks like it looks like green grass and then a mountain that goes up and back down and then green grass like that sounds perfect not too difficult you don't want to challenge yourself too much we're, we're gonna get on the plane the next day um 
However, as we got closer and started our hike, that green grass was not grass, but that was moss that was covering these um, volcanic lava rocks that were sticking out out of the ground everywhere. And all we had, all of us had just tennis shoes. Um, so we had the most miserable time trying to even get to the mountain because we had to walk all this way to this volcanic rock and we were tripping and falling. And I think Stephanie twisted her ankle. I got my hands cut up because there's just no, it's, there's no solid ground. It's all, it's all just jagged rocks coming out everywhere. And you think I would have learned my lesson, but a few years later, I went to Nepal with Stephanie, another friend, and we got off course from our map and we saw on the map, similarly, here's a straight flat way on the map to get to where we need to go um, to get to the next town before nightfall. And after we crossed the river, uh, the same thing happened. What it looked like solid ground from a distance, very close, was very similar kind of jagged rock. We got cut up, we got slow, we were caught in the dark, we could not see well. We nearly died. That's not the point of my analogy, but it was a very scary time because we did not anticipate all this falling around and, and just the difficulty of the terrain. And this is what Jesus is kind of saying um, about causing sin or stumbling in general. Now, your Bible uh, might say temptations to sin, or it may say stumbling, block, stumbling blocks, which I read in the NIV. Um, the Greek word here is scandalon, which means stumbling block. It's a noun. It means a, something that's in your way that trips you up. It's like the trigger of a trap or a snare. It's designed to trap or destroy you. Um, just like people who do small game hunting. I've gone out a few times and they'll have these traps. They open them up and they cover them with grass. So it looks like the ground. But when some muskrat or groundhog or some other small animal walks by, it traps them and it kills them. And this is also the word scandalon is where we get our English word scandal, which is people being trapped by sin and by evil. So this is, this is what sin is. Sin is falling into a trap. According to the Bible, sin is missing the mark or being trapped, as Jesus says here. We, and we need to remember in this in this passage that he is talking primarily to his disciples and to his followers who are called to be God's people. You know, in that context, there was no Christian and Jewish people. There was God's people, and that's who Jesus was speaking to. So the, the assumption was that these were um, men and women who wanted to follow God, waiting for the Messiah patiently, and Jesus is the Messiah, and he's there, and he's teaching them a making not an not a assumption, but he's expecting them to want to follow God's rule, as these people have done for thousands of years since the time of Abraham. So he is assuming that they want to seek and follow the God of the Bible. And this is why the words Jesus used here is stumbling block. And that's the Greek word. That's, that's why the NIV translates it, it that way, whereas the ESV says uh, temptations to sin or causing to sin which it means the same thing because these are impediments for people to obey and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Like I said, I was significantly slowed down by those blocks, those, those rocks that were in my way to keep me from getting to my destination in a 
in a quick way. And as believers, um, we are trying to follow Jesus also on the narrow path. But we know if you've lived at all for any short amount of time, this is not a perfect following of God by any stretch of our imagination. You know, for those of us who believe that Jesus died in our place for our sins, we have been completely delivered from the penalty of sin. So the penalty of sin, the cost of sin has been wiped out. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins, both past and present and future, which is justification. At the same time, we are growing in our faith. We are trying to put away sin in our lives. And the power of sin in our lives is being removed, which is our sanctification. We are growing. It's slowly being, being pulled away from us. And at the end of our lives, when we go to be with the Lord in heaven, there will no longer be any sin and will be completely pure. And there will be no presence of sin in our glorified state. So we are, we are removed from the penalty. We are being removed from the power and will finally eventually be removed from the presence of sin. So therefore, while we are on the earth, even though the penalty of sin has been removed and the power of sin has been weakened and is weakening, there is still a very significant presence of sin in our lives. And this is what Jesus called stumbling blocks, right? And Jesus, as you'll see, takes sin very seriously. And if you're thinking, what is sin? Sin is just the, the way that we miss what God wants for us. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives to bring him glory to bring us maximum good and joy but we turn away from that that is sin and we think well we're you know sin is not a big deal but sin is a big deal as you'll see in this passage jesus sin is a trap it's something that you it takes you more than you want to go like nobody ever wakes up and wants to ruin his life right nobody ever wakes up and wants to commit adultery or commit a crime or go to jail but sin has this power. Once you start dabbling in it, it takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. So we need to be very aware that sin is real and Jesus takes sin very seriously. And we have sin comes from different places, just as that um, has Eunice's song about keeping back the enemy, right? That's the arrows by day and the terror by night from that, from that psalm. You know, that is talking about sin and different problems with the devil and the world and the system that we're, we're in. So there is the sin of the world system. It's opposed to God's world and it's passing away. It has flashing lights and it looks very beautiful. And that's the way our corrupt world is. There's also sin that's in our hearts. You know, if there was no sin in our hearts, the things in the world and the devil would not attract us to it. But we have sin in our hearts. And then, of course, there is Satan and his angels, which are opposed to God, and they're, they're, uh, they accuse God's people day and night, and that all, they also tempt us towards sin. And the parable of, sower, of the sower in Matthew 13 kind of illustrates this, right? It talks about when Jesus explains the parable of the sower, as you read earlier in the, the book, you know, it says when someone hears the word and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. Right. And then the one that is sown on the rocky ground, yet he has no root in himself. So that's the sin in his heart and endures for a while. But when tribulation comes, he falls away. 
And then the, the seed sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, this is the world system, choke the word and proves it unfruitful. So you see, Jesus has a very clear understanding of what sin is and where it comes from and how it affects us. And to be clear, in verse 7, he doesn't say this is just the way the world is. But rather, he says this is a woe to the world because the world has temptation, which causes people to sin. This is not the world that we live in that God created or intended to create. And if we know what a woe is, it's like a calamity or a misery or a hardship or a disaster. And he is saying it is a catastrophic bent to what God's original plan is that the world is full of traps into which cause people to sin. And he's saying this is not right. This is wrong. This is here. This is part of the life we live. But he is not just letting that slide. He says, this is wrong. And this, to me, brings some comfort because Jesus is fully aware that the world is broken and that the world has this ugliness and this sin. And this helps me to overcome temptation in my own life sometimes. But it, we also know that Jesus, this is not going to last forever. It's not eternal. Jesus is going to remake the world one day where there will be no more sin. We'll no longer even desire sin. We'll hate sin as God hates it. And then he says, he, out, he answers a more, he pronounces a more specific woe or a judgment against those who cause temptation. Jesus is aware that, yes, there, in the world, there are temptations to sin. But in like Paul, he understands that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, as it says in Romans 8. But those who cause the temptations are under particular calamity and misery. We need to understand that this world is not ruled by chaos and chance, but by the God of the universe. And those who cause temptation will be judged by God. Those who incite greed, lust, gluttony, selfishness, selfish ambition, and all other kinds of temptations will receive their share of misery and evil. And these individuals who lay these traps, snares, and devices designed to cause his children to sin will receive punishment from the Lord, whether in this life or in the next. And this is where Jesus takes us. And this is also one of the reasons I believe in hell, that hell is real. And if there was no hell, then what kind of judgment would happen to all those who did evil on earth? Yes, some people receive what they do in, li in life, but some people do not, and they, they seem to die at ease without, without uh, problems. This is what I think Psalm 74 is all about. If you read that psalm, he is grappling, the psalmist is grappling with this idea of these people who die happy and fat and rich. What is the justice for them? And there are many Christians who, who do not receive justice on this earth and many who do God's work in, in, in anonymity and in misery and with difficulty. But the Bible makes it clear that heaven and hell bring righteousness and justice. And while Jesus balances the scales and everyone who believes in him does have a second chance, those who choose otherwise and cause others misery and lead others astray, if they know, choose Christ, they deserve hell. 
And we know that hell is real because Jesus agrees with this. And he says as much in verse eight and nine. He says, it's better for our own body parts to be cut off rather than for our whole bodies to be cast into hell. Of course, Jesus is not ad advocating for like a literal um, maiming of yourself. That's not what Jesus is saying here. So don't maim yourself if your body parts are causing you to sin. But he's trying to use this hyperbolic language, this extreme language to say, if you continue to use whatever body parts, whether it's hands, your feet, your eyes, your tongue, your mind, the end result of the a sinful life is hell. So therefore, we see that Jesus very much agrees that there is a literal hell where people go to based on the sins they commit. And the point he's saying is, he is saying that losing any body part is worth saving to avoid sin and its consequence and the consequence of sin is hell and hell is a place and he says he says eternal fire this is not a place where you're you're just eliminated but this is a real physical place where there is torment away from the presence of god and i know it's tempting for all of us to think that jesus was only a prophet of love and he was that we also need to know that no one in the Bible talked more about hell than Jesus. So he knows that not only heaven is real, where those who have been redeemed by Christ will spend eternity with him in never-ending joy and bliss, that hell is also real, where those who reject him and choose a life of sin will spend eternity in agony and torment away from the presence of God. So it, it, just like with, with uh, some people who reject hell, it doesn't make sense to me because people don't seem to reject heaven very much, right? Um, you know, hell, heaven is not temporary. It's not like you have a few moments of bliss and then you disappear. No, it's it's eternal. It's you get to enjoy Jesus and your friends and your family, those who are redeemed forever, right? And be in the city of God. Hell, the flip side of that has to be the same. It's not you're in this place for a little bit and then you paid your price and then you're, you evaporate or you go to heaven. No, hell is eternal because sin is not just, a, it's a temporal thing because we do it in our lives, but it's also an eternal thing, right? Because we, God is eternal and when we commit sin against God, that's an eternal consequence for that. And unless Jesus wipes that out by believing in him that he died on the, cross in place for our sins and we take his righteousness and he gives us his righteousness and he takes our sin then how is the is the path and if we if we don't choose this we will spend eternity in torment apart from god so jesus point is clear don't sin sin is that bad sin is something that sends people to heaven or hell right? God hates sin. Sin is abhorrent to him. He cannot stand it or bear it. It's so hard for my, even to wrap my mind around it because I'm so used to living in sin. Um, just the sinful world around me and committing sins, maybe even unaware that I'm doing it. Um, but it's like my, it's like a lot like my kids sometimes. I have to keep my son Silas from killing himself by running into the road, jumping off the bed on his head, and all kinds of crazy things, he is just this little walking time bomb ready to, to kill himself. And this is how we are with sin. We just kind of wander our way towards it, and it is exploding us 
right? So this is what sin is like to God. It is, it's, it's just so, that's why God is holy. He's so different. Holy means different, separate from who we are. And if you think about it, just go back to the Garden of Eden. Think about it. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect paradise where there's already a garden planted for them. Everything was already provided. They were naked and unashamed. They had a perfect relationship with God and with each other and with the environment. But because of one sin, this, this is a single sin by eating that fruit that God said not to eat. They were cast out of that garden, never to return. They were cursed for the rest of their lives. The, the ground would bear thorns for them and women would, would be in agony in childbirth. And then they had to suffer a spiritual death. Not to mention that this spread so quickly throughout the earth, right? And the destruction that came through succeeding generations, as you see quickly in the, in the book of Gener Gen uh, Genesis. You know, you see Cain and Abel, what a sin from eating fruit quickly goes to murder, right? Into whole cities raising their heads against God. That's the result of one sin. So imagine what a lifetime of sin is like. This is the power of, of one sin. And this is why Jesus says it's better to be physically maimed than to continue in sin. It's better to be wounded and die and go to heaven from cutting off your, those body parts than to continue in earth in sin. He says this two times and in different ways. So that just gives extra emphasis, right? He is saying, he's making it, he's making it crystal clear that this is better than living a life of sin. Sin is extreme. It's irrational, but it's extreme. And we need as Christians, as believers, to be free from it as best as we can. So what does this mean for us today? It means we need to do whatever we can to resist sin. If, if losing a part is better than continuing in sin, then Jesus must take sin in our lives extremely seriously. Now, this is not an easy thing to apply to our lives because we all sin in every day in various ways. So you need to know what are your triggers for sin or what are the traps that you know that you have a tendency to fall into you know like like the small game those animals that gets caught in the trap we need to know which traps we tend to stick our hand into and cause us to sin so as, and we need to figure this out we need to learn and and i have learned in a lot of ways and many of you have too so as much as we are able first we need to be aware of these traps and then remove these traps as best as we can in triggers in our lives. If we're gonna struggle for something like looking at pornography, then we need to ensure that there is either software on our computer that helps keep us from stumbling, or we need to think about what we're going to do when we have times when we're going to be alone and fill that time with other activities. We need not walk blindly through life without a clear map of things like I did in Nepal and in Iceland. You know, I did not see the traps. We have, we know our lives and we know what sin is. We don't want to be fumbling through life with cuts and bruises, unaware. And uh, along with this, this is where accountability partners and close friends come in. They support us in our victories. These people, these Christians, these brothers and sisters here in this room and those who you spend time with, 
but they can also help us to identify potential triggers to sin that you may not sin. Because sometimes we can be blind. I can be blind to my own blind spots, right? You don't know that there's a car on your right left shoulder and that somebody teaches you that th that is a blind spot, right? Otherwise you think you can see everything. And a close Christian brother or sister can help you see what you are not able to see sometimes. And they can point out, hey, this is a blind spot in your life. And let's figure out a way to avoid this. These can also be people you reach out to when you're tempted to fall in one of these traps. I've called many people before. Hey, I'm alone. Um, I'm feeling like eating something. I don't want to be eating too much. Just talk to me. And I'll talk to somebody and it helps me get through that moment. That Because in that moment, sin seems very rational and very logical, that part of our brains. Um, so when you're tempted to fall in these traps, they can help you and help you to say no and just encourage you and, and build you up to get around these stumbling blocks that you are facing in your life. Jesus makes it very clear that we need to do anything we can to remove and el eliminate sin from our lives because the alternative is so much worse. So find people. If you don't have a person in your life, reach out to somebody. Find people. I, I personally don't recommend spouses because... That's not, not always like kind of the best relationship where you're pointing out each other's sin. Marriage is hard enough without that. Find another person of the, of the same gender to that can walk with you through some of these things and help you. Another application with this is to remove barriers that so we don't put ourselves in these situations as little as possible. People tend to stumble the most, and I've said this before, is that when we are tired, we are hungry or we are stressed. These are relatively universal triggers to, or traps to sin. And like Jesus said, we live in a world that has these stumbling blocks and has traps. And therefore there will always be times when we are working a lot, spending time alone and, and hungry. However, along with other triggers, we need to try to do what we can to minimize these dangers and risks in our lives. So even if you work late, make sure you pack lunch, do relaxation and stress relieving activities. Focus your mind on something. And whenever possible, try to get some sleep and go to bed as early as possible. Because when, when those things are maxed out, when you're not sleeping well, you're, you're working all the time, you're very stressed and you're hungry, you're going to have a lot more stumbling blocks in your life. And yes, I know I have two small kids. There's times where I'm just not getting good sleep. Um, but whenever you can, I try to go to bed early so that I can get enough sleep and do some sort of physical exercise in my daytime so I can relieve stress because stress tends to cause me to, to reach out to sin much more easily. So find ways to relieve the stress and to get the sleep that you need and to, to eat regularly and eat nutritiously. Because following Jesus, it makes it easier if we choose to remove the common stumbling blocks in our own lives. And then the last application is directly related to what Jesus was saying about woe to the one by whom temptation comes. This is a particular disaster, calamity, or woe that is destined for those who cause others to trip over stumbling blocks. So we need to make sure we are not doing that. We need to do all we can as Christians to build each other up and to be very wary 
cautious of tearing other people down. For example, you know, the Bible makes it clear that it, it's, not, it's not necessarily sinful to have a drink of alcohol or to have an occasional smoke. However, we should be very careful how we, if we, if we decide to partake in this, if we do it and how we do it and who we do it with. And if somebody might be struggling with this and you're enjoying it, you're going to cause that other brother to struggle in ways that you may not have intended, but it does cause that person to struggle or stumble. Paul makes this very clear in Romans that there was an issue in their time where some Christians thought it was fine to eat food that was sacrificed to pagan gods, because meat is meat, those gods aren't real. But other Christians who maybe were recent converts or believed in those gods, that was a sin. And Paul's point was, I will never eat meat again if it causes other people to stumble, if it hurts a brother or sister. So Paul was applying Jesus' point to his particular context, his time period. And in our own time period, we have our own things that people think might be sinful or not sinful. And we just have to be very careful. Um, and that's why it's important to get to know and spend time with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. As you know people well, that gives you kind of freedom to, to explore what things are um, cause people to stumble and what things are not a big deal and what things don't bother them. But I always find it better to play it safe and to not allow other believers to stum stumble. Paul says it this way, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So as we conclude uh, this section of Christ's teaching, let's try to remember that Jesus himself knows about the stumbling blocks and sins we struggle with. And they're not just in our minds, but they exist in the world. And Jesus knows it because he came and lived among us and was tempted and saw and had to avoid all the stumbling blocks, all the traps that so easily bring us down. He was victorious in this world by living a life free of sin, even with all its traps. He also died on the cross and rose again from death so that we may have victory over sin in our lives as well. Jesus is not just distantly saying, don't sin, it's not that hard or you're going to hell. No, he's given us the Holy Spirit. If we're those who believe in us, he's empowered us. He lives in us. The Holy Spirit is within us. He's giving, he empowers us. And the Bible says he will not tempt us beyond what we can handle. And there's a way to overcome them, brothers and sisters. We also need to know though, that Jesus takes sin seriously and the end result of sin is eternal separation from God in hell. Let's do whatever we can as believers to live a life free of sin and to remove the potential traps in our lives. And this means identifying common temptations for sin that we have, finding others in our lives that we can battle sin with together and taking practical steps to remove um, common barriers like being overly stressed and hungry. Finally, we need to take great care with and of our Christian brothers and sisters, both inside and outside inside the home to not cause them to stumble but rather to build up one another so i pray that each one of us this week will be able to put something in place where we can have victory over an area where we stumble often let's pray 
God, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. Thank you that you give us a way out of sin, that sin is not something we are destined to commit, but that you empower us for those of us who believe in you. You give us a life free of sin. You can make us victorious over sin. And I pray for those sins that we're thinking about in our lives right now, those things that continue to trip us up and to make us fall and stumble and cause just issues in our lives that we wish we were free from. I pray that you bring freedom this week from sin in their lives. God, that you would just encourage them, show that you are with them. Holy Spirit, that you would just touch them in a special way, that you'd show them that you love them. You want them to be have have victory in this life, God, that there is power over sin. And Holy Spirit, that you would just be with them in a unique and special way. Speak to them. Give them opportunities to, to love you and to find joy in serving your kingdom, God. Because at your right hand are treasures forevermore, God. That is where true joy is found in your kingdom, not in the courts of the wicked with sin. So God, I just pray that you'd bless each and every one of these people this evening and give them victory, give them power to remove temptation. And for me as well, God, that there's areas in my life that I know I want to grow and I want to change. I want to be better. So God, help us all to do this. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.